How do we go about coming into God's presence to worship Him and to thank Him for all that He has done for us? It's not always easy to approach God, a God that hears what we think as well as what we say. He hears our frustrations while we're doing what we go about our lives doing and somehow we believe that he doesn't fully understand, yet he knows us better than we know ourselves. You see, thanksgiving is not about giving God something that he deserves. It's about changing us into the image of his son, which is the only reasonable gift he will accept from a Christian. If we are not conformed to the image of his son, we have failed in obedience to God and in the sanctification process that we are involved in in our lives. Often our, 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 our lifestyles become so crowded with things we want to do and choices that we make. Sometimes we're loaded down with, with the cares and the busyness of the life that we planned that we forget that God has a plan for us. We take for granted the many blessings that God gives us on a daily basis. It doesn't occur to us to ever say, thank you, Lord. Your hand is upon me and your grace leads me and it protects me. The 95th Psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving, but it's also a reflection on how God was frustrated with the children of Israel who wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they had a problem during that time. They tested God's patience and they quarreled with Him and with one another. And God was very frustrated with them because He surely thought that after over 400 years in bondage, His people would understand what freedom was all about. But in the midst of the first struggle that, they came, that came before them in the wilderness, they wanted to go back to Egypt because they had gotten accustomed to being enslaved. God truly was frustrated with the nation. In fact, they died off in the wilderness. Only a handful of people that were alive in Egypt made it to be alive in the promised land for a reason. God understood that people with no faith and without a heart of thanksgiving can never create anything great and good. And in the same way, we must develop a heart of thanksgiving to really get in this world what we are placed here to give. For truly, if you've influenced this world for Christ, you will feel the reflection of what you've done back by the work of the hand of God in a mighty way. But if you continue to look out at the world and it's still broken and battered and bruised and, and full of sin and messed up and heading in the wrong direction, then you're looking in the wrong direction. Because you see, God wants us to change our part of the world. We can't change all of the world. We can change our part of the world. And it's so important for us today to understand that. This is a great psalm for the Thanksgiving season. And as we move forward to the time of Thanksgiving, may we realize that we have much 
to be thankful for. I want to talk about Thanksgiving for a few minutes, and I want to imagine what it really is. Not just a few words we pronounce over a table full of too much food, waiting to go to a television with too much sports, and then to go off to the place that Adam's son went to, the land of Nod, as most people do on Thanksgiving Day. I want to think about how you give thanks because what you reflect to your children and your children's children will stay with them and it will help shape what they are. First, I want to mention to you that we must choose to worship Him. It is a choice. It is a choice every day that you get up that you worship Him and you trust Him. We don't need to be constrained out of fear or compelled out of anger. We need to worship Him always and only. The psalm says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. In approaching the Lord, we must be willing to come to Him. I've had people tell me, Well, everywhere I go, the, the Holy Spirit is within me. He's in my heart. But what are you doing with Him in your heart? Are you allowing Him to have free reign in your life? Or are you just giving Him lip service? Do you allow Him to judge you and change you on a daily basis? Or do you simply just talk about Him with flowery words that sound spiritual and that never match up with the way you live? Even though He breaks into our lives at many points along the way, we, we've got to take the initiative to encounter Him willingly. God does not want to be an observer in our life. He wants to be the participant that changes us in every way. And we forget about what we are to do in that respect. It's not so much what we actively do, but it's what we yield to let Him to do. That's why the beginning step of salvation is to surrender to admit that we don't know what we need. We don't know how to save ourselves. And we surrender to Him. But then we repent. Repent is a word that you could find on any road in America. If you see on the road, you turn. That's what a, a re repentance is. It means to stop going in the direction you're going and to turn and go the other way back to God. You see, we actively must repent, turn back to God, but daily we need to come to Him and choose to worship Him. The psalmist says, Come, let us sing for the joy of the Lord. Are you singing? Have you been singing this weekend? God is still on His throne. God is still there, and, and you can be obedient to Him. When, when things don't work out the way you want, it has nothing to do with what God is doing. I can remember many years ago where I grew up in Atlanta, in the school that I attended there. Mercer University never had, well, we had the Mercer Bears, and, and, and they weren't much of a team. 
But everybody in the school was divided up like everybody in this church. Everybody at Mercer University was either for Georgia Tech or for the University of Georgia. As I realized before I set foot in this place, that my family had to make a decision. And we made a wise decision. We decided we all support Georgia Tech. Therefore, we are the Switzerland of First Baptist Church. We are totally neutral. Auburn and Alabama have nothing to do with tech. And we're neutral. But I'll tell you something. When it comes to God's work in this world, you're to allow God to guide you and you're to remain neutral. You're not to support one thing over the other. You're to be for Christ and Him alone. Because sometimes in the worst things of life, God's hand comes forth and does amazing things. Sometimes in the darkest of night, God shines the brightest. And therefore, we've got to realize God is in control of everything. Whether we lose our keys coming home from work or our team loses the pennant. Neither one of those things are to shake us. A 92-year-old member of my church in Atlanta told a story in church one Sunday evening about how she had spent all day Friday and Saturday looking for her house keys. You'd have to know this couple. They never had children. Her, the husband was, was a yard conductor for Southern Railroad. And if you know anything about yard conductors, they're deaf as a post. They can't hear anything, but boy, they can tell time. And they'd lost their keys. They're a couple that were adults during the Great Depression, and therefore they didn't trust banks. One evening at their house, they said, Brother Jerry, since we don't have any children, we just need to point something out to you. If both of us were to die at once in a car wreck or they found us here dead, we need to show you something. They took me in their bedroom and took down this huge picture of the town they grew up in, Chipley, Georgia. You know where Chipley is? You know it very well. It's right next to Callaway Gardens. Roosevelt changed the name of Chipley to Warm Springs because it sounded better. But they were from Chipley, and they took down a picture of Chipley, a map that was framed, and they had cut out in the wall, and they had stacked in the wall in $100 bills, $300,000. I about had a heart attack. I I couldn't sleep thinking about that, And, 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 and I looked at them and I said, and what do you suppose I'm supposed to do if you two die? And they said, that's between you and the Lord. Well, I'll tell you, I did the wisest thing a pastor could do. I got them to a bank first thing after I found that out. But, but this couple told me about losing their keys, and they, couldn't, they, they, they just didn't want to leave the house. They were too nervous that people would come and get what they banked in their house. And they knelt, at, and, and what, what Smitty, that was, uh, her maiden name was Smith, and, and that's what we call her name was Lucille Jones, but we called her Smitty. And she knelt at what she called her divan. You know what a divan is? It's a nice, fancy, old-fashioned name for a sofa. She knelt in front of the sofa, clasped her hands, and began to cry and pray that God would tell her where the keys were. Billy was by her side. 
They wept and prayed for hours, not minutes, hours. And when she got in such a state, she grabbed the cushion and she began to just cry out to God. And lo and behold, guess what her pinky touched? The ring of her keys. Now, she told that story, and some people say, well, that's just an old story. No, it's a real story of how God answers prayer. That's how he works. He never forgets any situation we're going through. Do you think God knew that they had lost their keys? Yes, he did. Did God care? Absolutely he cared. She could have knelt at any one of the chairs in that room or in their dining room or in their bedroom. But God placed her where he wanted her to be to show the power of God. God loves us and he's concerned for us and we need to come to him and worship him. And when, when they shared that story in church, we all celebrated and were thankful because we all know the times that we're in that situation and God is able to answer our prayer and reach out to us. I want you to also realize this. When you come to him in thanksgiving, your worship is about him and it's also about you. You don't worship God simply because He wants to be adored. You worship God because He saved you. He loves you. And you will be with Him forever and therefore you want to be with Him right now. When you look into His face, spiritually speaking, you become like Him. Some people say, why be troubled with worship? God knows what's in my heart. I don't have to go to church all the time. There's any number of people listening to me right now that have not figured out the importance of being obedient to God's call to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I remind you, it's not just you and God. You're a part of the body of Christ. Each and every one of you. We are important to one another. And as we grow, grow, grow closer to Him and draw to His throne room, we are changed into what we should be. If you think that you can stay at home or go out in the woods, if you know what I mean, and worship Him just like you would here, I'll tell you what to do. The next time, guys, when you're, you and your wife have... An anniversary, send her a card and go on a hunting trip and see what happens. You will understand very soon the importance of being together. And in the same way, God wants to be with us. He loves us. And He wants to change us into what we need to be. Unfortunately, a lot of people come to church and they, they don't have a whole lot of enthusiasm or excitement. It's more out of habit that they're there. It's a routine. The church is about changing us for the better. It's not just about, and, and I love to see the children down here, and, and sometimes I, I just uh, am terrified because I remember a few times that I was, was doing children's sermons and the kids cornered me, if you know what I mean. What do you do? How do you handle that? And I'm so proud of Gina and what she does. And it's not just the work she does here, but the work that she does when no one's around. The hours she spends in preparing 
to teach our children. She's very creative. You don't believe me, you should have seen what we had for the fall festival upstairs. I will never forget the corn maze that we had upstairs. It was unbelievable. But she creates things to draw the children in so that they will remember who God is. Everything points to Him. And yet somehow we grow up that way as children and we become adults and we forget how important He really is. We think that because we're grown that we can handle everything. The truth is when you get to be an adult, problems just get more complicated and they tend to extend out far beyond us. But God knows that and He wants you here. Sometimes even during the Thanksgiving season, we are slow to express our thanks for what God has done, for He's done so much for us. And we need to acknowledge on a daily basis what He is doing. A little girl always talked to God after her nightly prayers. When she said amen, that was not the end of the conversation. And one night after a, a, her list of requests, she paused and added this. She says, thank you, God. And now, God, what can I do for you? There was a smile on God's face that night. Because that's where he wants all of us to be in our life. Lord, what can we do for you? Because as we become obedient in, in, in that respect, we begin to change. In this verse, it's amazing some things that are expressed. In the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson's version, I love what it says about the 95th Psalms. It says, it says and, and, and why, God, are you this way? Because God is the best high king over anyone else. It says, in one hand, he holds the deep caves and caverns. In the other hand, he grasps the high mountains. He made the oceans. He owns them. His hand sculpted the earth. And it says, our God is worthy of praise. When you look at the mountain peaks, which we can't see from Selma, but when you go there, or you go to the ocean and see the beauty of it, remember, it's not just beautiful because you decided that it would be. It's beautiful because God made it that way. God cares about detail. Some flowers are so ornate and so beautiful that one flower will absolutely fulfill any of your inner passion to enjoy beauty. God is that way in His creation. He understands what He is doing. We get a sense of the awesomeness of God many times. He is bigger than any problem we can face. He's the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He's the one that can set things right for you. We know the end from the beginning because we know how all of this life will end if we trust Him. That's why we should not fear as we travel. But lastly, I want you to realize this. The depth of our relationship with Him determines the strength 
of our faith. If you're one of those people who's always running back to God, terrified that that maybe something has slipped his attention or, or somehow he's not paying attention to what you're doing, and you cry out to him, God, where are you? I need you right now. Maybe you need to understand that your relationship with him is not deep enough. And it's not consistent enough because if it were, you would understand that he's always there. He's not distant or aloof. He did not, as some of our founding fathers believed, he didn't wind the world up and walk away. No, he created us and he's very close to us. Verse 7 says, For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. He's not an absentee landlord. He is the good shepherd. He is there with us. He knows our feelings and our frustrations and our anxieties. And he hears our prayers, but more so than that, he responds to our prayers. One version says, Oh yes, he's our God, and we're the people of his pastures. The flock he feeds. Drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks. When we realize that he's our solid rock and he cares about us, then suddenly everything's changed. You don't have to read the front page of the paper and you don't have to listen to the editorials on the cable networks because they're merely opinions of blind people. They don't know your God. They don't understand what he can do. They're not aware of his wisdom and his grace. And if you look at life and you say, God is just simply not here right now, or he's forgotten about us, or or, he's failed in this point, you don't know God, and your faith is very weak. Your faith is influenced more by what you see and touch and experience with your senses rather than through the sense of the Holy Spirit guiding you. And you're going to be a sad person if you live that way. There's a story in the ancient Hebrew writings, the Talmud, about a wise and vigilant rabbi who was listening to God one day. His name was Akiba. And Akiba had taken a trip to a strange country. And with him, of all things, he took a donkey, a rooster, and a lamp. Why those three, I don't know, but that's in the story. And as he is traveling, he ends up in a city that he's to spend the night in. The city does not like him or accept him. They reject him and they run him out of the city. And he goes out into the wilderness and he is prepared to make his bed there. There is a tree with low limbs and he hangs the lamp on one and he lights it. And he gets under the tree to read in his Bible. And a fierce wind blows the lamp out and smashes it against the tree. Thieves come in and they take his donkey. And his rooster is eaten by a wild animal. And he's sitting under the tree crying and praying. 
In the morning when he can see, he travels back home and he gets to the village where he was to stay for the night and the village is gone. For in the night, robbers came in, killed everyone in the village and slaughtered the entire place. Everything that was to be there was gone. And he realized that they moved back to where he had been before. And he paused and he thought about it and he understood that had he have had a lamp that was lighted or the animals that made noise, he would have been detected and slaughtered also. But he slept quietly under the branches of that tree. And as they passed by, no one even recognized him. Rabbi Akiba got home and knelt down and he says, God, you are a wise Lord. And you protected this old fool. All that God does is done well. And I will always trust you. Whether I understand what you're doing or not. For all that you do, all is well. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in the midst of thanksgiving, we must first understand who we are giving thanks to. For God, you created this world and you created us for a purpose. And you have a direction for us. And you never, ever, ever miss understanding what's going on. You have a plan. And that plan is for us to prosper and to be blessed and to be with you forever. And God, because of that, we are grateful. But also we are drawn to you in conviction because we realize that we are not who we should be. We must grow closer to you. And thanksgiving is the first step for a Christian who is away from God to grow closer. And I pray that right now that would be on our heart. A spirit of thanksgiving for all that, that, that you have done. Father, in the midst of calamity and frustration and a sense of lostness in the world, you're still God. And if we are ever expected to be used by you for great things, we must first be thankful that you are working in our lives and you love us. Only then can we speak words of hope and encouragement to others. God, help us to be changed people today. And I pray that if your spirit is speaking to someone today, that, that this altar would be their place to come and to submit to your will and your way. If there's one here that needs to come and make a public statement of faith, that they would have the freedom and the wherewithal to say yes. And if there's someone this morning that desires to be baptized or to join this church, Lord, may the Spirit of God lead them and guide them to do that which is right. For, Lord, we trust you, we submit to you, and we give thanks to you for all things. For it's in your holy name we do pray. Amen.